more Sunday this week. The next week, Lord willing, we'll get into chapter 3 and finish chapter 3 in two weeks. And the goal is to start the Gospel of Matthew two weeks before Christmas. Or um, So hopefully we will start the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It has kind of been one of my things that I would love to preach through all the gospel, the gospel from the pulpit on Sunday morning once every 20 years. So I have made it through John and I've made it through Luke and now we are going to start Matthew. We'll start that in, like I said, two weeks before Christmas. Uh, Christmas Eve we will hit, I think, right on the Christmas story. So we'll see how that all works out. So you can pray for me as I try to finish up Second Peter in the next two weeks. Brent and I were watching a historical review of the 1980s in America the other night on television. I don't know if any of you got to see that. Uh, the 80s were a time of great prosperity for many in America. Uh, I remember the 80s fondly. Yes, that dates me a little bit. That's when I graduated high school. For some of y'all are, oh no, right? And for others of you, you weren't born. There was a, during that time, there was a rebirth of optimism for many in the 80s. But under the outward positive picture, there was still something missing. Yes, there was prosperity and external happiness, but there was something very amiss. Shows like the Cosby Show made America all laugh together. I love that show. I don't know about you guys, but I did. But now even we know, as the news is exposed, even our favorite actors were actors in more ways than one, right? Optimism grew. The Berlin Wall fell. The Cold War was over, but still there was something missing. At that same time, there was a birth of the televangelists in the 80s. Jim and Tammy Baker. Many of you in the room know who I'm talking about, right? Paul Crouch and Jimmy Swaggart and Robert Schuler. These so-called Christian TV preachers were widely followed by hundreds of thousands of people. Millions of dollars were given to these televangelists as they would go on television for hours and hours and hours begging for money. Do you remember? How many of you remember that? Raise your hand. Oh, wow, look at the room. Woo! Y'all remember it. So we're a little older than I thought. They built huge Christian amusement parks. You remember up in North Carolina? I remember as an unbeliever at the time, I was an unbeliever, wondering as I saw them, everybody saw them on television, right? Why do these people always have these fake-looking smiles on their face all the time? Their faces were all painted, remember? They were like puppets, plastered with smiles on them. The tragedy was, they were all fakes. They were using the name of Jesus to build their economic fortunes. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker of the 80s were a story of economic decadence. Their false ministry was a cover for their even greater deception of not teaching the real gospel. God exposed them over time, though, didn't he? Be sure your sin will find you out. Jim Baker went to jail for fraud, as y'all all know, most of you probably. These were the blind leading the blind. Prosperity, but dead, lost. As I watched that this thing the other night, I, I couldn't help but think, these people are a perfect illustration of Second Peter 2. They are exactly like it. 
You know, there's nothing new under the sun. False teachers were prevalent during Peter's day. They were false teachers for the 1,500 years before the Reformation. There were false teachers from 1,500 when the Reformation happened all the way to present day. There are false teachers. Peter is confronting these false teachers in his day. He sought to protect the flock of God from these false prophets or false teachers. You know, the enemy has a two-pronged attack, as I've mentioned before. There's persecution. When that doesn't work, he rises or raises up within the church false teachers to lead to the destruction of the body. Peter dealt in 1 Peter with the persecution. Now in 2 Peter, he's dealing with the false teachers, and he's pretty direct, isn't he? If you were reading this in his day, you would have known exactly who he was talking about. It wouldn't have been, oh, I wonder who he has on mind. It wouldn't have been one of those things, who in the church is fitting this mold? You would have known. It would have jumped off the page. This is obvious. And we saw last week, as we looked at a character sketch, we looked at a few of their, their attributes, their characteristics. We learned a couple of things. First, we learned that false teachers, uh, the false teacher is overconfident. They're overconfident. He or she is daring and brazen and bold and audacious. Their confidence is really a cover for their spiritual blindness and self-deception. They think they're right, their way is right, and they are bold in proclaiming that wrong way. They were bold in their ignorance. Second, we saw that false teacher, the false teacher is proud. He's proud. The false teacher was self-willed or arrogant or stubborn. They exalt themselves over others. Their own opinion is really all that matters to them. And they are ready to share it. All the time. They also had no respect for the supernatural order, reviling powerful fallen angels, unafraid of those things. They had no fear of anyone. They were proud men. Third, we saw the false teacher is ignorant. The, in verses 12 and 13, they present themselves as spiritual authorities, but their lack of biblical discernment and accuracy expose their mile-wide but an inch-deep theology. Take note of that. They had a lot of things to say, but there was no real depth to it. It wasn't about real doctrine and understanding who God was. Again, the false teachers present themselves as knowing much, when in fact they really know very little. They're ignorant. They were like unreasoned animals, as Peter stated and said they, they were similar to. Next we saw the false teachers. The false teacher is brazenly immoral. Brazenly immoral. Their pride caused them to be shameless in their sin, reveling in their deception. The wrong view of God eventually reveals itself in immorality. In other words, their pride makes them so blind that they just go right headlong into evil. They do all kinds of evil. We, haven't we seen this from those in the 80s? What happened? They were all exposed over time for being what? Sexually immoral. That's exactly what happened. And it was like that then, and it's like that today, beloved. Fifth, the false teacher is manipulative. Oh, I couldn't help it as I was watching this and reminding and, and remembering how they would get on and they would say things. You remember I, at one specific spot, he says, I think it was Tammy Faye, said, oh, there's somebody in Hawaii that's going to give $100,000. That one person in Hawaii, I know they're there. How manipulative is that? Literally manipulating some person that was seduced by this false teaching to then give $100,000 to their what? Their decadence and their immorality were manipulative. This is what false teachers are. They entice us 
They seek to entice the flock. They seek to lure the unstable souls within the church. They lure, they tempt, they seduce professing believers by their fleshly desires. The false teacher uses the idols of the heart in the weak to lure them away to their false teaching. A love of money, power, fame, and even explicit immorality. They use those things to get them off track, to get the sheep off track. Their followers were attracted to them because they used their so-called doctrine to cover for evil. Remember, every false teacher used their ability to justify their own bad behavior as a way to lead the sheep astray in their bad behavior. That's what false teachers do. So do the false teachers know they are false teachers? That's a great question. I want you to think on that for a second. Just meditate for a second. Did the false teachers, did Jimmy, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker know that they were false teachers? Some would say yes, and some would say no. Well, you know, as I meditated on this and thought about this, you get the sense where they don't, they're kind of clueless. They, they bought their own lies. They're so deceived that they are deceived by their own deceptions. They're blind guides. Now, do they know that they love money and they want more of it? Yes. But they assumed in their hearts that it was good for them to have money. They believed that lie that said that God wants you to be what? Wealthy, healthy, and popular. They believed it. And so they bought their own lies. The enemy's lies. I don't think Joel Osteen goes to bed at night and goes, man, I'm a false teacher. I don't think he thinks that. I bet they think. I bet he thinks, yeah, I'm right. That's scary, isn't it? They buy their own lies. They're manipulated by Satan themselves, so then they manipulate other people. The false teacher is greedy, though. We know this. It's been the same. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Verse 14, having a heart trained in greed. If we get the heart, to the heart of the issue with false teachers, one of their primary motives is love of money, greed. They have a desire to have more because they aren't content with what they have. They want more power, more influence, more money in the world's transgressions. They want more of that without the responsibility of obeying God. We finished off with Peter's illustration of a false teacher, Balaam of Beor. He was a self-proclaimed prophet, right? And why did he do it? He did it for money. <laughs> Just as we saw in Jude, we see in 2 Peter, it's the same thing. But God stepped in and had a donkey correct him. Thank the Lord. Every generation of God's people have their Balaams of Beor. Every generation. We have them. We have them in our culture and in our society. You know that, right? The real tragedy, though, is the sheep that are led astray by these wolves in sheep's clothing. That's the real tragedy. This brings us to how it happens. Professing believers who abandon the truth for the lies of the false teachers. We need to be warned, beloved. Friends, in verse 17, the tragedy is revealed. The false teachers and their followers' doom is sure, and their final position is worse even than their beginning condition. Let's look at 2 Peter 2, 17 to 22. Let's read it one more time. These are springs without water and mist driven by the storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. 
For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have had known the right way of righteousness than, to have, than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallow in the mire. Wow, what a passage, right? Today we will finish up this chapter. We're, we're going to examine the tragic, effect, the tragic effects of the false teachers so that we will avoid their perilous doom. The tragic effects of the false teachers so that we will avoid their perilous doom. Let's look first at the first tragic effect. False teachers offer hope, but they don't deliver hope. This is very important. They offer hope, but they don't deliver on their promises. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm from whom the black darkness has been reserved. What is a spring without water? Well, it's a well back in the Middle East. A, a well in the Middle East is a pretty important thing, right? <laughs> if you're in the Middle East, it's very hot and dry and you need water, right? You see a well, what do you do? I want to go there. I need water, right? So they were wells, springs, wells without water. So what would that be? It would offer hope, but then when you got there, there was no what? Water. That's what these false teachers were all about. They offered hope. They said, oh, you can be rich. Right? You can get healed. Right? You can be well known and liked by everybody. It was the offer. But then they supplied no real answers. Correct? Everybody got rich on the pastoral staff. But everybody else went, what? Poor. Broke. And they most of the time went after who? The poorest in the congregation. That's the saddest thing. The ones that needed to be wise with their money, those were the ones that they went after. I'll tell you, there, there's this righteous anger that comes over my soul every time I think about Benny Hinn going to Africa. It just, I mean, I just want to, please, Lord, call down fire on this man. Please. He's stealing from the poorest of poor. Buying his Lear jets. There's something wrong with this, isn't there? Be warned, beloved. Be warned. They are springs without water. Mist driven by a storm. The idea here is, is that you would see clouds coming in the Middle East. You'd see these big clouds and you'd think, okay, we're going to get some rain. But there would be a powerful storm with the wind that would push it past real quick. And all you would get is a little bit of mist. And again, this idea is you look up, you see the clouds, you say, it's going to be a good day. We're going to have water. And then the storm pushes it through real quick and you get nothing. That's what false teachers do. They offer hope, but don't deliver hope. What does God have for them? Real clear from the scripture, doesn't he? He says it, for whom the black darkness has been revealed or reserved. Do you understand there is a, and I'm going to say it, a hot place in hell reserved for these people. They are deceivers. They are causing people to stumble. This is the effect of the false teachers. They present a picture of hope, but they fail to deliver on their promises because it isn't really tied to repentance and faith in Jesus. It's tied to these false teachers' promises. Any teaching that fails to deliver the peace and contentment with the Lord alone is a false hope. Hear me, beloved. Hear me closely. 
Our hope is not in what this world has to offer. Our, I, I'm fairly sure many of you can attest that our bodies are what? Breaking down. Benny Hinn doesn't go to the retirement homes. He doesn't go to the hospitals. The, my hope is not in this physical body. It's dying. My hope is in the Lord. It's only in Him. Is your hope in Him? Then you won't be, afraid, you won't be led astray by the false teachers. If your hope is in being rich, you're going to get led astray. You know, I have to admit, this is, this is really hard. We're, we've never, ever in the history of our church, 11 years, asked for money from y'all. I mean, very, very rarely. We got a box in the back. We're afraid to pass the plate. Because we don't want to be misunderstood. We don't want you to think of us trying to get your money. All because of this. It's reading these passages that drive us to this spot. But there is a balance, right? We understand that. You understand that. When we participate in the kingdom and we give to His glory, we want solid churches to, be, to go out and grow, don't we? That makes sense. Planting churches around Hillsborough County, isn't that what we should be doing? Sending missionaries out around the world that we're telling the truth, that their hope is in the Lord, not in what? Money? Health and wealth. So again, it's not about me getting my Learjet. I don't want a Learjet. I don't even want a mansion. I can get that in heaven, right? John 14. He's got a place prepared for me, and it's probably not a mansion. No offense. I just get to be with Christ. And that's really all that matters, isn't it? But I do want a place to be able to proclaim the gospel, the true gospel, that says false teaching is this, the gospel is this, embrace Christ because he is Lord. Jesus says it very clearly that our hope is in Christ alone, and we should seek nothing else but him. Look over at Matthew 6. Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, we see a perfect exclamation, explanation by the Lord Jesus on what is a true hope, where we shouldn't put our hope in, what we should put our hope in. And he states in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor did they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed themselves like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Or what will you we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, and here's the key, here's the key, pay attention you never hear this from the false teacher. They never. They stop in this verse. They don't say this verse. This is it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek Christ and holiness, godliness, and obedience to the Lord, his glory, his kingdom, and all these things will be taken care of. Jesus makes it clear there is one priority for his followers. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. False teachers distort this priority. And they make everything turned upside down. It can be very subtle, can it? They can take even good things and reprioritize them to make them wrong priorities. In other words, how many of you want to pay your bills on time? That's a good thing. Pay your bills on, good on time. Just a little warning. Don't buy everything you see. And you might be a little bit better 
at paying your bills. Tear up your credit cards. You don't have to have it now. You can wait, as opposed to what the world says, right? But they make these, quote, unquote, okay, good things, the priority. That's what a false teacher does. It can be as subtle as even ministry, beloved. This is where it gets really tricky if you're not careful. A false teacher can say, my ministry is the only ministry. Follow me in that ministry. And that can be deceptive too. But they fail to prioritize a humble pursuit of Jesus and his righteousness on a daily basis. Why? Because, listen, let's, let's face it. Preaching, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and put to death sin all the time is not something a lot of the world wants to hear, correct? People don't want to hear, be holy for I am holy. They don't want to hear that one. Go to the message is what the false teacher says. Go to the message that will what? Tickle their ears. And help them embrace your deception. Peter states, though, their judgment is sure. Their judgment is sure whom the black darkness has been reserved. The second effect, false teachers arrogantly entice new converts away. Look at it in verse 18. For speaking out of arrogant words of vanity... They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. What do false teachers do? They arrogantly entice new converts away. By speaking empty, boastful words, the false teacher entices by the fleshly desire, by sensuality even, the new converts... To the faith is probably what that means. Where those who will barely escape from the ones who live in error, that's new converts or new believers. So false teachers, who do they prey on? New converts, new believers, those that had just started. Why do they go after them? Because they don't have as much depth. They haven't studied as long. So they go after the weak ones, don't they? Schreiner explains this very well, the false teacher's methods and results. He states this, quote, The teachers probably lured recent converts by teaching that no judgment was, was forthcoming. And if there was no judgment, it followed that morality was irrelevant. People could live however they wished since judgment is an illusion. The door was open then to sexual sin at every level, end quote. You got it. That's the point. Because, see, what they did was is they said, the Lord's not really coming back. There's not really a day of the Lord coming. There's not a reckoning time. There is no judgment. So what would that do? They were the first that said, it'll all pan out in the end. They were the first pan-millennialists. Why? Because they said, hey, it's, it's, it'll work out, and no big deal. You know, matter of fact, Jesus might, might have already come, and it's all set, no big deal. No judgment's coming. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Enjoy. For a new believer, how enticing would that be? I can have my sins forgiven, and yet what? Do what I was doing before. I can go and live however I want to live and still know that my sins are forgiven. Mm. The weak new converts were looking for an excuse to return to their old life instead of being told, die daily, repent daily. They were being told, it's okay, don't worry about it. Judgment's not coming. Beloved, please be warned. If you aren't killing sin, you are vulnerable. Mark that down. If you aren't dying daily, and if you aren't killing pride in your heart daily, you are vulnerable. If you aren't seeking Christ daily, you are vulnerable. If you are, 
If the allurement of your previous life is not being killed regularly, you are vulnerable. Okay, everybody think on this for a second. Do you look at your life before Christ and say, I kind of wish I could do that again. That's that temptation right there. That's what the, in, that's what the enemy, he whispers it in your ear. And then the false teacher does what? He comes along and says, go for it. You've got liberty. You can do whatever you want to do. What is that? A lie. A lie from the enemy. Don't listen. Go to the word. Go to the word. When sin is repulsive to us, or rather, when sin is not repulsive to us, when our sin is not repulsive to us, then deceivers will lead us astray to the sin we harbor in our hearts. Do you understand? They know exactly what's your weakness. They know it, and they're after you. So the result will be a return to bondage. We sought relief from when we repented, when we repented and believed in Christ, right? How many of you, you know what I'm talking about. Do you remember when you first believed? I can still remember the day when I first believed. I remember the nap I took. It was the best nap I had ever taken in my whole entire life. I remember laying down, going to sleep and going, wow, my sins are forgiven. And I slept good. How about you? When we repent and believe and trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven. We all go, I'm at peace with God. He's my Father. Praise the Lamb, right? Then the enemy, weeks later, months later, maybe even days later, begins to say, but don't you want to go back? Don't you want to go back and do a little bit of that old life? Oh, listen, beloved. False teachers know it. And they're going to proclaim it. And they're going to be subtle. They're promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Wow, do you see this? What is the big call in our culture and our society in the evangelical circles today? It's the, the free grace movement. The I've got liberty movement. I can do whatever I want. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. You see it? It's nothing new. Nothing new. This brings us to the final effect. False teachers return, that's in quotes, to their original place of destruction. They return to their original place of destruction. For after, verse 20, look. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, controlled, bondage. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. All right, so here's the question. Everybody listening? Listen closely. Can a person lose their salvation? Say, everybody, no, no way. Just want you to know. Short answer. No, you can't lose your salvation. I agree. However, Listen closely. you got to listen closely. A professing Christian who is not really saved can return to a full display of their sinful lifestyle after a time of playing church. Did you, I'll, I'll say it again. Listen closely. Okay, I'm going to say it again. A professing Christian who is not really saved can return to a full display of their sinful lifestyles after a time of playing church. Why? They weren't really 
converted. It wasn't a heart change. The context is important for this section. If we read this section without knowing that he was talking about false teachers, it, would, it could be really confusing. It could be confusing. I mean, look at it. There's a couple of statements here. The language is, it looks like apparent conversion, doesn't it? Doesn't this look like apparent conversion? I'll read a couple of the lines from it. Look, listen. After they have escaped the defilement of the world. Have they escaped the defilement of the world? Well, it says it after they've escaped it. That sounds like a Christian, doesn't it? Second, they appeared to escape by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They escaped by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They came to know Christ, so they escaped. Doesn't that sound like it? Am I the only one that this sounds like it, doesn't it? Third, they have known epigenosco, which is known experientially. I've heard this. Known experientially, the way of righteousness. Now, if you were to read this out of context, you would read this and go, what? These people look like they're saved, but what? They lose their salvation. No. That's not what it means. What Peter is showing, though, is, is that this is how much it can really look like they have embraced it. This is how deceptive it can be. They can appear to have all of this truth. That they left an old lifestyle. They've done these things. They said, no more to that. I'm a part of this. I know what the truth is. I know what righteousness is. They can maybe even say some of those words. They can be in the midst. They can be a part of things. They can pray a prayer. They can walk an aisle. They can do those kind of things. And yet still be what? Lost. Dead lost. This should be scary. It should scare everybody in the room. To a degree. It should wake us up, shouldn't it? If the context was different, we would think that these were genuine believers. But often, listen, the best way to tell if a salvation is genuine is not how it looks at the beginning. Rather, it's how the person looks at the end of their life with Christ. That's how you, it's best to tell whether somebody's a genuine Christian. Time. Write it down. Time. Time reveals what? Bart. Every one of us in the room can put on a smile. Every one of us in the room can say a nice thing to a spouse. Do you hear me? But time demonstrates whether the heart is really committed to Christ or not. Do you remember Jesus' parable? Of the soils, remember? Look over there real quick. Let's look at it. Luke 8. I'll make you turn a little bit so that it keeps you awake. Luke 8. I think these soils are really good. False teachers that come along, they, they reinterpret this in a different way. But Luke chapter 8, verse 4. When a large crowd was coming, together and those from the various cities were journeying to him Jesus he spoke by way of a parable now there's a big hint in that first verse a large crowd what's that a lot of followers are they all believers or not well he's just going to take and what he's going to do is he's going to expose three quarters of them or three out of the four soils that are following him at that time notice he states the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Another seed fell on the rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it out. 
Other seed fell out, fell into the ground, good soil, and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things, and as he said these things, he would call out repetitively, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay. I don't know about you, but if I would have heard that in my regenerate state, I think I would have been one of those that said, I would have come up to him immediately and said, okay, hold on. Will you please explain how this applies? Because <laughs> I want to know, right? If Jesus is talking to you and he tells you a parable like that, is there a lot in there to tell you what he's talking about? It sounds like he's given a great <laughs> agricultural explanation of things, but come on, give me some meat. <laughs> what are, you, are you trying to say something with that? What would that have shown if I would have gone up to him and asked that question? Have ears to what? Hear. God must be working in my heart. I would have gone up and said, hey, help me out. I need to know what's going on. I want to know what you're trying to get at here. Look what happened. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. Oh, that's what happens. Disciples, followers of Christ, those that have been regenerated, they do what? They ask questions. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they do not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed in the is the word of God, those beside the road are those who have been heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will be not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones that, who have heard, and as they go up on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones whom have heard the word, and in honest, in honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Isn't it clear? Who's the genuine believer and who isn't? Well, the ones that have a good heart. Now wait, at this point, how many of you have a good heart? It's a trick question. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> By the grace of God, He gives us a new heart that's focused a new mind, a new heart that's trusting in Christ. Those that have been born again have a heart that loves Him more than all the world, right? Born again people are the good soil. But those beside the road, those here and immediately it's snatched, or the rocky soil they hear and receive the word with joy, and they believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. What's that? That's, those are the ones that the false teachers go after. They go after those. And they also go after the soil among thorns. They hear and, and appear to receive also, but they're choked out by the worries. Riches, 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 pleasures of the world. So how do they get them away? They give the very thing that causes them to what? Abandon Christ. The good soil. They hear the word. There's a real heart change. God works within them. They are born again and their proof of their genuineness comes out clear. Because what do they do? They hold fast to the word of God. That's what they do. They, they abide in it. They word, read it. They hold on to it. They embrace the gospel. And they bear fruit with perseverance. They hold on to the end. Why? Why do they hold on to the end? Because God's holding them. He's keeping them. No one can take them out of my hand. Clearly, the last soil is the genuine believer. Because they hold fast and they persevere with fruit. Beloved, you need to understand, just because someone says they're a believer doesn't mean they are truly born-again believers. The true believer holds fast to the Word of God and bears fruit with endurance to the end. Back to Second Peter. We'll close. 
Notice where these false teachers end up, though. Notice where they end up. The false teachers end up, they are again entangled. They are entangled. They're entangled. They, again, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. What is they're entangled in them? They're entangled in the defilements of the world. Put simple, if a person appears to abandon the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life for a little while, but then ends up going back to the very things that they were, what is that? They weren't really saved. If they go back to what they were doing before, then they're not really saved. Notice next, they turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. This is probably a reference to turning away from obedience to the Lord. Remember, we saw their, their prideful behavior in, in last week's message. Friends, the New Testament repeats this numerous times. We are not saved by what we do. Everybody in the room says, But we are saved to obey and do good works. Do you understand? The evidence of a heart sacrificially committed to Jesus is obedience. It's obedience. As we obey the Lord, we show Christ is working in our life. Finally, they reveal their true identity by where they return. And again, it was in quotes, the return, because they really never left. They cleaned up the outside of the cup, but then they were exposed for who they really are by their behavior. What happens? Here's what happens. A pig returns, sorry, a pig returns after washing to wallowing in the mud, and a dog returns to its own vomit. Pretty explicit illustration, isn't it? Why does he use that? I think he does it for shock factor to a degree. Wake up, this is important. This is very important. If and, and, and I just want to give this little warning out there, and I want to call everybody in the room. Listen closely. This is important. If there hasn't been a real change, and you still are acting like the, for lack of a better term, the dog that returns to its own vomit, if you're still acting like you used to be, then you need to cry out to God right now. You need to beg Him, please, God, save me. Change my heart. Help me to know Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Hear me, beloved. Hear me. If you're playing church, if you're playing church, false teachers are going to go after you. They're going to go after you. We must be aware of our own heart condition. We must realize what we do with the Word of God reveals who is Lord of our hearts. We must remember perseverance of our faith in Christ is a key indicator of our genuineness. So this week I was with a person from our community that do doesn't go to our church. I had a really good lunch with him, enjoyed talking with him. Neat guy. He shared his testimony with me. He grew up in this area and said that his entire life, he's pretty much gone to church. He's gone to Baptist churches all of his life. And in the process, he even went to a Baptist school. Uh, good guy. I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation. Very encouraging. But about halfway through, he began to say, but I've come to realize, I came to realize about four years ago that it was all fake. That, that I was a church goer but I didn't have a heart change I wasn't a born-again believer I was a deacon I served in the church I was on all kinds of committees in Baptist churches and I was dead lost and I was like wow he said but I cried out to Christ and he saved me of my sins and I'm forgiven now. And I now serve Jesus, my Lord and Savior. 
I was like, wow, this is good, man. You're a great testimony. You come speak to the church. It's really good. So encouraging. I just want to encourage all of you in the room. Maybe there's somebody here that you've, you've played church before. You've played the Christian thing. But you haven't come to an understanding that God is a holy God and your sin deserves judgment. And that if you were to die, you're not sure if you'd go to heaven or hell. Maybe there's somebody in here. I want to encourage you. I know I sound like one of those old Baptist preachers. But I want to encourage you. It is an important thing for you to evaluate. Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners like me and you. He lived the perfect life that me and you can't. He died on a cross to pay for sin. He was buried, and three days later, he bodily rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning, and one day he will return. And when he returns, he will judge this world. The wrath of the Lamb is coming. If you will repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you too can be saved. Playing church doesn't get you to heaven. All it does is makes you a bullseye for a false teacher. Jesus Christ is our hope. He's our hope. Turn to him today. Don't wait another second. Today. Let's pray. Oh, wow, God. Your word is good. Jesus Christ is good. A holy and perfect Savior that came into the world to die for sinners like us. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for what Christ has done for us and all the Christians we rejoice. We have peace with you because of Christ's work. We thank you, Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for this warning. We ask for you to protect us. Oh, God, protect us from our prideful hearts. God, help us to die daily, kill sin in our hearts, mortify the deeds of the body. Help us, Father, to abide in you, to enjoy you, to delight in you, to rest in you, to hope in you. We love you, Father. We pray for those in the room that are grappling, that you may be working on their hearts. We pray, Lord, that you will grant repentance. We love you. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.